Good evening and welcome to the Overtime Heroics Baseball Podcast, Cheap Seats Chatter. I'm today's host, Matthias Altman-Kurosaki. With me, as always, we have Ryan Splashpots. And of course, from the Pacific Northwest, we have Alex Clark. Fellas, how are we doing on this fine Friday evening? You know, I'm vibing. I, I was wondering, like, how would you introduce me geographically? Because you can say Alex is from the Pacific Northwest. Would you say, like, I'm from Cactus Land or something? Well, you're the Arizona Wildcat then. <laughs> okay, that's fair. They're going to lose tomorrow, sadly, but. Yeah, that's fair, though. I mean, look, you're Arizona Wildcats. You deserve to lose anyway, so that's fine. <laughs> well, that's that's uh, look, that's I had to do the little bike job there. Go Cougs. That's all I'm gonna say is go Cougs. <laughs> uh, that, I'm doing good. Hello there. I'm Alex for the Pacific North, the, 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 the Pacific Northwest, <laughs> but. No, yeah, no, doing good over here, and I'm excited to get talking about this because there's some interesting awards that we have to get to, although we're not going to be starting with the most happy of awards, especially for a lot of true baseball fans. Yeah, and we'll get on this uh, in just a second. Uh, myself, I mean, I am entering the final few weeks of my semester, so I'm definitely feeling relieved. I feel like a bulk of my work for the semester is done, so... Uh, we're, we're entering the home stretch, plus I am going to be competing next weekend for the first time as a retired uh, swimmer, I guess you could say. So I'll, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be competing, and I, I can't wait for that. But anyways, uh, the, you know, Alex, you, you mentioned it, and we're going to get started on that. We are talking awards in this episode, but first thing first, we do want to talk about the gold gloves, which were revealed earlier this week. You know... I feel like the Gold Glove Award, and I feel like you guys have sort of mentioned it, you know, both in the chats and just in our conversations, that this award is starting to lose some meaning because, you know, it seems like more and more the writers are getting this these awards wrong. Uh, what were your guys' thoughts on this year's selections? There were a lot of snubs. And it's cool because this has been one of those years, really, where people have been very vocal about the ones that they did not like. And I love hearing that because that means that it at least can start to really bring forward some change. But honestly, at this point, I don't even put any stock in Gold Glove. I mean, I put a little bit, obviously, because you at least, you know, you can't be trash as a defender to win the Gold Glove, but you don't have to be the best, which I think is just something that's fundamentally wrong with the system itself. And so, like, for example, guys like Carlos Correa winning the gold glove and then going on to win the platinum glove as well, where there were better, there were better defensive shortstops out there. And the fact that not only did he win the award for the position itself, but then win the award for best defender in the entire American league. I mean, come on. Yeah. I'll start with when I made my first roster AL all or all gold glove NL all gold glove and I had it sitting on WordPress for like two weeks and I just couldn't find the time to write and sit down and plug them all in four of those 18 players that I included were not even nominated like I, I think there's a fundamental issue when I can find the best defensive player at a position and they don't get nominated <clears throat> I understand with like Adalas Garcia that he only played a fraction of the games. He played like five fewer games than Duvall, and Duvall won right field's gold glove. But Key Brian Hayes, 
I think is perhaps the biggest form of highway robbery I've ever seen in sports. Like this is bigger than like the, the black Sox scandal in 1919. This is bigger than Pete Rose cheating or uh, gambling. This is bigger than the steroid era. What are you doing baseball? What, what, what Rawlings, you figure it out. I, I know you want to vote for the St. Louis guys. That's fine. St. Louis deserves four of their five guys. Nolan Arenado is not the best defensive third baseman in his own division, let alone the National League, and he wins the Platinum Glove. So that's quite a travesty. Yeah, and I want to mention uh, shortstop. And, you know, you can say this is me being a homer or whatever, but Francisco Lindor had more outs above average than Brandon Crawford in far fewer games. Remember, you know, Lindor missed a decent amount of time with uh, with an injury, and he still was better defensively in almost every metric than Crawford. But Crawford still got the award, and maybe it's because Crawford played a full season. I know voters will get – I'll get into this with the other awards too, but maybe it's because voters do tend to favor those who play a full season, and so Crawford got it. And, you know, you mentioned uh, – Splash, you, you also mentioned it, but Taiwan Walker wasn't – I mean, he, him and Marcus Stroman were not even really mentioned for, for pitchers. And I think both of them were, were at least deserving in some ways. So, you know, but I, I feel like pitching gold gloves don't get value as much, but it is worth noting. And, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just confused as to what goes on in the thinking there. I mean, also for five Cardinals to win a gold glove. I mean, I get the Cardinals did have a lot of good defense, but I mean, like you said, Nolan Arenado is still a good defensive third baseman, but he's not nearly what he once was. Plus, he won the Platinum Glove. Like, I'm not sure how that's possible because he just wasn't – he wasn't as good as – like you said, he wasn't as good as Cabrian Hayes. Like, I mean, I just – I don't even know if he was top three best defensive third baseman, so – I don't know. I'm not putting too much stock in these awards, but uh, any other thoughts on on the gold gloves? What stats do you guys like to use when you're determining? Because I, I try to use a balance of outs above average, total run safe, and like a fielding Bible. Uh, I see what fan graphs defensive, to say. Defensive run safe, too. I'm very yeah, old-fashioned on some of these. I like to use uh, fielding percentage, as well as just like a general eye candy test. Like, do are they able to make the big play when it matters? Are they able to make the clutch plays when it matters? And I mean, I give I'll give a little bit of credit to Correa on that, where he was able to do that pretty well, I would say. But at the same time, like, look, I could I see a bunch of other guys that are just better than like, for example, and I'm gonna sound like the homer here too, Max. So don't worry about that. But JP Crawford not even being a finalist or not even being looked at for the gold glove in Seattle is also just a travesty. Look, he had a 981 fielding percentage here, the exact same as Carlos Correa. They both had 981. But you also brought up the idea of playing whoever played more games. So should get a little bit of an edge. Well, Carlos Correa played 148 games this season, started 147 of them. You know how many games J.P. Crawford played? 160. He missed two games. On top of that, he started 159 of them. Um, at this point, look, 
I just think that this award overall needs a major overhaul. And I know that a lot of it is subjective, but at the same time, when there are even just basic stats that others are beating over you with when it comes to defensive ability, also need to give a quick shout out to Ty France not being a not being a finalist, complete travesty. But anyway, I feel like there needs to be something that needs to go on with the gold glove. Cause I know that we're we're not experts here. We're just we're guys that are talking on a podcast, but we at least understand some basic concepts that need to be done with the award itself. We understand that, you know, good defense matters. We need to be able to see that, oh yeah, this player overall gives more outs to a team hitting should not be any level within the gold glove like a hundred percent like if you think hitting needs to be there for the gold glove then you're missing the point yeah personally i mean i put a lot of stock into defensive run save too so i'm like i'd say drs um outs above average and then I, I'm a fan of like total zone rating and stuff like that. So, I mean, I just, there were so many metrics, you know, that show that, you know, they're just the wrong person won the award this year. So at this point, the gold glove, I feel like keeps losing meaning. And, you know, I just, I don't know how much stock to put in it anymore. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely it's just think, hard. I definitely think we've come to a point in baseball that we can, we can quantify defense enough. We, we haven't obviously fully quantified it. You can probably do that with StatCast, like expected stuff. But I think we've come to a point that should we even vote on it anymore? Should we just agree that if you lead uh, the majors or lead your league in X, Y, and Z, you should be automatically the gold glove? Like with hitting, there can be nuance that there's a difference in, you know, hitting a bunch of doubles versus hitting a bunch of home runs getting on base or like other sports. How do you compare defense and football? Okay. Well, sacks and interceptions, those are very different stats, but I think with baseball, you have so many people that are on the same footing that like Freddie Freeman is going to be compared to Paul, Paul Goldschmidt and Anthony Rizzo and Yuli Gurriel. They're compared apples to apples and just get the best statistical one. I test maybe like 10%, but I think it needs to be more stats-based than anything else. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. But anyways, moving on from the Gold Gloves, the finalists for the four major awards were revealed this week as well. That's Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, Manager of the Year, and of course, the Most Valuable Player Awards. So guys, I want to start out with the Rookie of the Year and we can go with either league first, whichever you guys want to talk about. But, you know, I think both both leagues have uh, valid candidates. Uh, who, which league do you want to discuss first? Uh, we can shoot with the AL because I, I like how they included Wander Franco. I wasn't wasn't 100% sure that they would. I was kind of scared they wouldn't. Um, and would I vote for Franco? Not necessarily, but I am glad that he got recognized. But uh, I do think we're missing a certain Emmanuel Classe. I'm just just saying there. So I think he got he got snubbed. Luis Garcia had a great season, and uh, Rosarena had a great season as well. But this is the case that 
I would have picked Classe over any of the three, and he might have been like fourth in voting. So I do think that's a bummer. Yeah, I, I, I was going to touch on that. Was, I was going to say that my personal pick was Classe also, and he of course got. Uh, I, I'm I'm very surprised he got left off. Maybe it's like there's a reliever uh, anti reliever bias here, but that was, in my opinion, I think he's more impressive than than at least two of these candidates. So. Uh, Alex, what are your thoughts on uh, on on this field? So yeah, I, I'm I like Class A a lot, and I don't know if I would have put him in there just because I don't know if I would have given the, him the award just because I'm not I don't have a bias towards against relievers or anything, but like I don't know. I like to value position players when it comes to these a little bit more, but I mean, look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna poop on what Class A has done this year. That guy, I think, is gonna have a great career. And I think that he's going to be a mainstay for a while. As for who I think honestly should have win, should win this, it's really tough. Although I think I think I'm gonna give it to a Rosarina. So I like Randy. Rakes all night day year. But with Randy, the thing I like about him, at least, is that he really exploded in 2020. In the playoffs of 2020 is where the name Randy Rosarena became known. And then on top of it, this year really showed it off again. Showed that, you know what, it wasn't just a complete flash in the pan. I That he came off as being a strong player. And this year had a 4.1 war, which I could definitely get behind. With that 274 batting average with a very nice 69 RBIs, 20 stolen bases, even and 20 dingers on top of it with good speed. I like what he's done. He's made some great plays. He's a good all around player that has really shown that he can play at the big league level. I'm not going to, I'm not going to throw anything away on Franco either because him be. I, I know how hard it is to come out to the major leagues and just immediately start raking. Again, 288 batting average for a rookie is insane with an OBP of 347 and an OPS of just over 800. Not bad at all, kid. And then, of course, there is Luis Garcia, who, again, does have the lowest war of these three, but a very good ERA of 3.48. He really made it, he really helped the Astros make it all the way to the World Series with how well he really just came up and did his job. He wasn't anything truly spectacular. He came up and he did his job, which that's why he's on this list. He did everything. He didn't need to be flashy about it. He just did it. Yeah, and, you know, obviously I'm going to talk about the other finals, but I wanted to compare uh, Feliz to the other AL uh, relievers who've won Rookie of the Year. And the last two guys, you know, the last two guys who won it were Andrew Bailey in 2009 and Naftali Feliz the following year in 2010. You know, looking at the numbers, you know, Bailey was an all-star. He was at 26 saves, 1.84 ERA, 91 strikeouts, and eight three and a third innings. So he won it, you know, so obviously he was a workhorse. He did a great job. And looking at Feliz, he had a 2.73 ERA, 40 saves. 71 strikeouts and 69 and 30 innings and 9.2 Ks per night. He was also an all-star. Classe was an all-star snub, in my opinion. And, you know, he only had 24 saves, but he also had 74 strikeouts, 69 two-thirds innings, so 9.6 Ks per night. Uh, he only allowed two home runs all year, and he had a 1.29 ERA and is a candidate for the all-MLB team as a reliever. So I think 
definitely he was left. Uh, he was snubbed. But of these three finalists, it's tough because the most impressive, in my opinion, is Franco. You know, he had 3.5 uh, baseball reference war in only 70 games. But at the same time, because he missed about a month due to an injury, you can't really vote for him, unfortunately. It's just it, it's hard to see him winning. Um, you know, like you said, Garcia had a great year. He was very impressive, 167 strikeouts and 155 in the third innings, third innings. And he came up for the he came up big for the Astros in the playoffs, uh, especially in the ALCS. He came up big in that clinching game. Uh, but I have to I have to go with the Rosarena. Um he really backed up that 2020 season with uh, a 2020 season, uh, 20 homers, 20 steals, you know, 131 OPS plus, seven defensive runs saved in the outfield. I think just if you want to go, you know, full season, you know, five tools, you have to go to Rosarena. So I have pro- I have a Rosarena winning. I mean, go Franco second and Garcia probably gets third. And then I guess Classe will get fourth. But it, yeah, that's what I have yeah, as well. So. That, that I think I think that's the proper way to do it. Uh, Splash, do you have any objections there? Yeah, I would say rookie of the year is the one that I would say I don't need the full season. I think to me, rookie of the year should go to the best rookie. Like say most valuable player. Okay, playing more games is important. Or Cy Young having thirty starts compared to twenty five. That's important. But I I think Franco was the best rookie. Um, and I think what he, he brought to the table for Tampa in a, a smaller sample size, he played 71 fewer games than a Rosa ran it. Yes. I think that is more indicative of what you want in a rookie of the year rather than like an accumulator. And I, I will go, I would lean Franco then a Rosa ran a second Garcia third. You know, yeah, and I, I get, I see that side of it too. It's just really disappointing that, you know, Franco did so well, but you know, he only played seventy games because three point five WAR in seventy games puts you on pace for about probably eight WAR in a, or at least seven WAR in a full one hundred sixty game season. I'm going to do the math real quick. I mean, that puts you on pace for that's three and a half, eight point one. So, yeah, it's man, that that's unfortunate because you know you 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 want to give it to him, but I, I it's tough. But anyway, moving on to the National League, our finalists we have we have Dylan Carlson, Trevor Rogers, and Jonathan India. Guys, who do you have winning this? I'm I'm rocking and rolling with Jonathan India. He had a, a terrific season with Cincinnati. He didn't know, oh, is he gonna where is he gonna play to start? How are the Reds gonna juggle? Are they gonna move Eugenio Suarez to shortstop? I really wanted him in fantasy for that. But and then India came in and you know started raking. He finished second in rookie B war to the aforementioned Rosarena and all around had like a, a terrific season. Um, I would have voted him for Silver Slugger over Ozzy Albies. And I just I think the whole package is there. And the stats are there too for a, an extended stretch of the season. There were a few players as equipped to get on base as Jonathan India. Now he was getting plunked every couple of games. So that helps. But at a certain point, it becomes a skill when Anthony Rizzo does it. So why is it not a skill when uh, Jonathan India does it? 
Uh, he ended up leading the league in hit by pitches with 23. So end of the season, 269, 376, 459 slash line. Terrific stuff. Yeah, Alex, what, what who do you, who do you have taking this? So as much as I really want to just, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave this here briefly. Uh, Brandon Geyer, uh, definitely is willing to give away his hit by pitch, uh, crown to India. Uh, and that's a very painful throw to just sit on, but anyway, I, I mean, I'm on the same train here. Look, Jonathan India, you look at what he's done. He's played exceptional baseball on top of it. The big set I love to look at with this here is that on-base percentage of 376 for a rookie that's just insane i don't care to quote the movie moneyball do i care if he gets on base do i care if it's a walk or a hit the answer is no you do not do i care if he gets hit by pitch no because he gets on first base and that's all that matters with jonathan india a nearly four war in a rookie season is huge to see it's still batting 269, 69 RBIs. Very nice, I will say, on that. He's, he's a good player. He's a very good player. And I take a look at the other guys. Dylan Carlson is a guy that has also done exceedingly well. Very good slugging at 437 as a rookie. I And then on top of it, I, I got to give a little bit of love to Trevor Rogers. Look, a 3.3 war is very, very nice. Especially considering the fact that, you know, also two saves – uh, excuse me, not two saves. Eh, my apologies there. Uh, 39 strikeouts over the course of his 2020 season and then just absolutely bumps it up to 157. Look, he's a good arm. He's a very good pitcher. And the fact that you can have that low of an ERA and not also be the winner of this just shows how good Jonathan India is. Well, it's tough, though. Here's the thing with Rodgers that at the all-star break, he was firmly in the driver's seat for this award. You know, he was an all-star. He had a 2.31 ERA, 122 strikeouts in 101 in the third innings. But he had a lot of personal uh, – he had to miss a lot of time because of personal matters in the second half. So he only pitched in seven games. And it was a number of things. You know, he had you – know, there were deaths in his family. He had, he had an illness. You know, he had – there were a number of issues that caused him to miss uh, – miss games in the second half and you know i i feel i feel for him because this was his award to lose um looking at the other finalists carlson yeah carlson finished the year really strong he had a great second half of the year um he had an 847 ops in the second half and you know it was it was just a great performance by him in the second half but looking at the big picture india you know he played in 150 games 21 homers, 34 doubles, 69 RBIs, 12 steals, you know, leading the NL with 23 hit by pitches. You know, he checked all the boxes for, you know, a good leadoff hitter. You know, he got on base. He can hit for power too. You know, 459 slugging, 835 OPS. You know, that is a player that, you know, Billy Bean, that is his ideal baseball player right there. So, yeah, I think India takes it. Rogers gets second, and Carlson gets third. Man, it's it's just you got to feel for Trevor Rogers because this was one hundred percent his award heading into the second half. But a- any other thoughts on this race? I think on this one, like 
with Rogers, it's always fun to see because you're always going to look at that ERA and you're going to think, man, how does this guy not just win it right then and there? But like you said, there's a lot of other things that go into it. So with this one, I think India, he full on deserves it as well. Um, and with that, you know, I look for, I really look forward to seeing what he's going to do going forward. Yeah. And I, I do want to see also what Dylan Carlson does. I think he can really build off that strong second half. Uh, but anyways, I say we move on to the Cy Young Award. We'll start in the American League. You know, the finalists, Robbie Ray, Garrett Cole, and Lance Lynn. You know, I think this race won't be as close as people think it will be, but I'll, I'll let you guys speak on this first. I mean, who, who – I, I think there's a clear front runner, but I feel like some people may disagree. I, I think the clear front runner here is Robbie Ray. I think you look at what he did compared to Garrett Cole. Sorry, Lance Lynn, third place. Cole and Ray are pretty close to a lot of things, but Ray is a little bit better here, a little bit better here, a little bit better there, better slightly better ERA. Thinking on the ERA title, and I'll fact check that in a second. Yes, slightly higher strikeout per nine, like slightly better in like all the margins. And then Garrett Cole has Yankees playoffs whatever you want to Garrett Cole, like his name is Garrett Cole folks. And if Robbie Ray was say, I don't know, you Darvish instead of Robbie Ray, I think people would be more inclined to like, you would have more support, but when you're like, Oh, Garrett Cole, although the Garrett Cole street does swing both ways that some people like hate him. And some people think he's a cheater. And some people think he sucks because he had like two blow up starts. But I think this is Robbie Ray's Cy Young. I'm on the same path here, actually. I really like Robbie Ray. I like what he's done this year. Do I think that he's going to continue doing this? Uh, no, not really. But I do think that he has done something really incredible. Looking at what he's done, 248 strikeouts should be the first thing that pops into your mind when you look at what Robbie Ray's done. Leading the league, as obviously it would be. But when you have a strikeout per nine of 11.5, then just think about how insane that is. Going up against major league hitters that are being paid 30, $30 million a year to do the one job of hitting a baseball, and he is sitting them down double-digit times per game on average. Well, per night innings at that point. I mean, that's just insane. Look at him leading the league in ERA, innings pitch, strikeouts, ERA plus at 154, and a whip of 1.045 man this guy is electric and seeing what he does again he is the definition of a strikeout artist and Garrett Cole don't give not gonna say anything bad on him he's also a very skilled strikeout artist and again he had a 12.1 strikeout per nine um, what did Robbie Ray have? 11.5 slightly be- slightly better than Robbie but you look at what they've done you just look at what Robbie Ray was able to do as well as also having that ERA at 2.84 I mean come on this guy is absolutely insane and it's going to be very interesting to see what he does going forward and and sorry Lance Lynn but this really is a two-legged race and uh, there's going to be another race we're going to talk about uh, about a little bit later where there's going to be another player that just kind of gets pushed off to the side you know yeah that's the thing also is that Lynn didn't qualify for the ERA title, 
And the thing is that they nominated – so Lynn is a finalist, but Carlos Rodon, who is superior in almost every category, somehow got the – you know, didn't, didn't get, uh, you know, in the top three, which baffles me completely. But looking at it, if the season ended on June 1st, Garrett Cole wins the Cy Young, but the season doesn't end on June 1st, you know, for the remainder of the year, Cole was fairly pedestrian. In fact, in the second half, he, his ERA was only 4.14, and it was over five in multiple months. I mean, it was, you know, he just he just had a couple – he had a few rough outings, and it, you know, you can say it was the spider attack and all that, but, I mean, it's just, you know, having a few duds just – it it just doesn't work and i sorry did i say over five in multiple months it was uh it, the only month it was actually over five was september but he had a 4.65 era in june and a 4.71 era in july so you get what i mean he just kind of like had an iffy second half and ray just got better as the year went on it seemed you know led the era Led, led the league in ERA and in a whole bunch of categories. So I think this is his to lose. And I know a lot of people will argue for Garrett Cole, but I think that this race will not be as close as people think it will be. But any other thoughts on the AL race before we move on? All right. Then uh, moving on to the National League, we have. Corbin Burns, Max Scherzer, and Zach Wheeler. You know, Zach Wheeler, I'm very happy for him, but uh, I'll let you guys speak on this first. Um, I think these are three very good candidates. I think it's clear the National League is the more pitcher-dominant league. Uh, what, what are your guys' thoughts on this? So as much as I believe that the AL is really a two-horse race that Ray's winning, I think – all of the horses in the National League are supercharged, so I would agree. Like, I, Zach Wheeler was my number five candidate. I would have put Brandon Woodruff in. I would have put Walker Bueller in. Nothing against Wheeler. It's just kind of how I like to flavor my tea today. But to me, this supercharged horse race, Corbin Burns added like several extra octanes of like explosiveness. Most of the other pitchers, say Max Scherzer, he has had a great year, had an unbelievable year, perhaps the best stretch of his career with the Dodgers. Corbin Burns had a historic year. He had a Pedro Martinez-like season. I'm just going just gonna to cite my article. Corbin Burns is one of just two pitchers to have a FIP below 1.80 in the integration era. Pedro Martinez has the other in 1999. He had a 1.63 FIP, 13th best in baseball history, minimum of 162 innings. He led baseball in FIP, ERA, ERA plus, homers per nine, strikeouts per nine, and strikeouts per walk. I think it's pretty cut and dry here. Alex, uh, you feeling the same way? I, you know, I'm not. I'm not feeling the same way. And I understand, like, Corbett Bird is absolutely fantastic. I am not going to knock on Burns at all because he really did some amazing stuff this year. But I also want to, you know, Zach Wheeler did not have a bad year. Like, I know that you're saying he was fifth on your list there, Splash, but I look at him, and there's one number that really jumps out to me. 
And that's his war. 7.7 war, according to baseballreference.com. With a 2.78 ERA, is absolutely fantastic. A whip of 1.008. Look, yes, I know that he did not, he, he didn't have the ERA title like Corbin Burns had. I know that he had, that he didn't have the home runs per nine that Burns had, or the strikeouts per nine that Burns had. But what Wheeler did have is that war. He was a very complete pitcher that did a lot of very, very, very good things. And a 2.78 ERA, so like you really can't scratch at. And he was the problem with him is that he was on a Phillies team where he really didn't get a whole lot of wins, and he did not get a whole lot of support to work with a lot of the time. A 14 and 10 record, which I know that we really don't like to use wins and losses because they are just bad in general for pitchers. But I just I like what I'm seeing from him. Am I going to say that he's going to win the award? I'm not sure. Honestly, it's pretty close between him and Corbin. I don't want to even throw anything that Max Scherzer has done out of the way either, because he's also had a pretty darn nice 2021 between Washington and LA. I mean, take a look. When you have a whip of 0.864 as a starter and a hit per nine of just six, I mean, that's really good, guys. That's really good. And a walks per nine at 1.8, home runs per nine at 1.2. This is a very tight race, in my opinion. And who am I going to give the edge to? I'm going to give it to Wheeler. Like, I know that Burns has all this stuff. I know that Scherzer has all this stuff. But I just like what I've seen from Zach. He's a guy that's really amped it up this year. And he's already been showing this steady progression each and every season. And right now seems to be the best that we're seeing from him. And if that means he's going to go even further, I'm even more excited. Well, that was a turn of events. I was not expecting. I'll be completely honest with you. <laughs> um, you know, doing, doing, we're, as I mock in WWE, you got the heel turns coming on here on the show where I finally say something that Brian did not say. Well, look, I, I am very happy for Zach Wheeler. Like I said, I mean, this, you know, and I say this even as he's gone on and succeeded on a rival team. You know, the biggest thing with Wheeler was staying healthy when he was with the Mets. And now that he's gotten to Philly, I mean, he led the majors in innings pitch with 213 in the third innings. That's easily career high. Through three complete games, two shutouts, including a one-hit shutout masterpiece against the Mets in, mid, in mid-August. I mean, 247 strikeouts, 10.4 Ks per nine. Only 1.9 walks per nine. Great year for him. Looking at the other two, though, I mean, this was Max Scherzer's award to lose. And then he had two rough starts at the end of the year. And because of that, you know, it hurt his numbers. You know, and don't get me wrong, he had a great year. 2.46 ERA, 2 to 36 strikeouts in 179 to third innings, led the majors in whip, you know, had the best walks per nine in the NL, had the lowest hits per nine in the majors. A great year. And think that this guy was left off the all-star game roster initially is insane to me. But, you know, man, as great as his year is, I I have to give it to Corbin Burns. You know, 2.43 ERA, best in the majors. You know, 176 ERA plus, also best in the majors. 1.63 fifth, like we said, that's insane to begin with. Also best in the majors. 0.4 homers per nine. You know, he only allowed seven home runs in 167 innings with 234 strikeouts, no less. So 
That's also best in the majors. 12.6 Ks per nine, also the best. And a 6.88 strikeout to walk ratio, also best in the majors. Considering how he's led, the, and I understand that Wheeler pitched four innings and so did Scherzer, but look at those numbers. He leads the league in so many different categories. I don't see how he doesn't win this award at this point. And don't get me wrong. I think all three of these guys are very deserving. And same with Walker Bueller, same with Brandon Woodruff. You know, you could probably throw Josh Heater in that conversation just to have another, uh, just to have a reliever in there. Jacob DeGrom, if he had stayed healthy, you know, he, he could have, he could have run away with this race, but Corbin Burns was the only guy I saw who was, I thought was going to be able to keep pace with DeGrom this year. And he did just that. So I have Burns winning this, uh, Scherzer coming in second, Wheeler coming in third. This is a great race. I'll tell you that much. Um, anyways, I think it's, uh, we should move on to the manager of the year awards. And Alex, I know you have plenty to say on this. So I'll start with you in the AL. We have Dusty Baker, Kevin Cash, and your guy, Scott Service. Alex, we'll start with you. Give, give us your thoughts. Okay, well, for those of you that have paid attention to the podcast over the last couple of years, even, you guys know that I've not been the biggest fan of Scott's service. Well, I'm being forced to eat my words in the best possible way. Scott has done an incredible job. Like, I mean, Barna, look at what he has done. He's taken a team that was not supposed to be competing until maybe 2023, 2024, even maybe. And he's ha- he has them poised to make a postseason run in 2022. He took a team that at the beginning of the season, a lot of people predicted were, was going to finish below that. He, the team was going to finish below 500 or maybe right at 500 and maybe get at best third place in the American League West. Look at what happened. This team that he led had more wins than the World Series champions. This guy helped as I helped lead a team that did not have. I can't even about to use this on the broadcast. Actually, no, I've done it plenty of times. It's fine. That did not at the start of the season have a single gold player even on an MLB the show, and has taken it to be a team that was contending until the last, not even just to the last game, that was contending until literally 30 minutes before the game and the last game ended. That's how good that, that Scott Service, how good of a job he did this year. Now, do not get me wrong. Dusty Baker has done an incredible job, and I respect the heck out of him. He's the baseball version of Andy Reid. And he's a guy that everyone loves. He took a team that had a lot of people that, a lot of people, excuse me, really wanted to hate, me included, because of what they've done. And he really brought a nice, gentle face to it. And Kevin Cash is doing Kevin Cash things, being able to take a team with no payroll and turn them into not just playoff caliber, but World Series caliber talents. So I understand how good both of them have done. But as a Seattle Mariner fan that has seen this team over the last 25 years, since I don't, I don't know how many years at this point. I've, I've been a fan since I was a baby. But Seeing what he has done, this has been extraordinary work. Yes, he does have his problems. Yes, he still needs to learn how to game manage a little bit better. 
But when you take a team that was not supposed to even break 500 and you make them playoff caliber up until literally the last final minutes, that's something special. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback off of a lot of what you said. Service to beat my pick, pretty easy. It's one thing that Baker and or Cash are winning with teams that won in 2020. They were the American League or the ALCS representatives. Boom. Dusty Baker took over a team that won the World Series in 17, went to the ALCS in 18, won, went to the World Series in 19, went to the ALCS in 20. Kevin Cash, the last 10, 12 years of Tampa Bay Rays baseball is pretty solid. The Seattle Mariners, you can have a three and a half hour show about them sucking for decades. What service has done in Seattle is taken a ball of poo and polished it. Even though Seattle management decided, hmm, we have some shiny parts of this ball of poo. Oh, we're going to ship them off to Division Rebel Houston, Kendall Graveman. And Scott Service said, okay, we're going to keep winning and we're going to win 90 games. And I think that's incredibly impressive. And it's not a ball of poo anymore. It's a nice, it's a nice billiard ball that's pretty polished. And I think Seattle can make, should make the playoffs next year, which is a scary word to say, but. Things are trending up in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Splash, how dare you spoil my, uh, like, spoil the emergence of my three-hour broadcast talking about the horror, the horrors of the Mariners' last 20 years. I was wait, I was really banking on that. No, I'm kidding. But, I mean, to be fair, I really could have that if I wanted to. I'm pretty sure CSU would give you a platform to do that, right, Mac? Oh, 100%. I, I, <laughs> Let's I, go. I, I, I would do that. Um, Let's go. I mean, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna echo your guys' sentiment. I mean, just looking at the three candidates, I get it. You know, I, well, I feel like you know with Baker, you know, the Astros obviously coming off a bit of a disappointing year. It's just, you know, there was so much talent there to begin with that they were already favored to win the AL West. So while he what he did was impressive, it's like you know, I'm not sure if, you know, he deserves manager of the year necessarily. Kevin Cash, you know, a lot of people expected the race to take a step back this year, but they won a franchise record 100 games. So Cash, you know, you know, obviously give him a ton of credit too. You know, he's had his doubters, but at the same time, he still manages to amaze us. Um, but I can't say enough good things about what Scott Service did this year. I mean, this was a team, like you said, Alex, I had, I had them finishing fourth for the year in the, in the AL West, you know, he, you know, he took a team that had a negative 51 run differential and led them to winning 90 games. And like you said, they were literally, you know, in playoff contention until the waning moments of the season. You know, this was not a team that should have been anywhere near 90 wins. You know, at first it was, you know, we get into the summer and they're still over 500. It's like, all right, you know, they'll ride it out. We'll see what happens, you know. But as the, you know, as it got later in the season and they were still competing, man, I just, it was, it was amazing to watch. They're so fun, you know. And I'm, I'm really happy for Seattle that they, you know, this Mariners team looks like they're, you know, they were ahead of schedule this year, and I really cannot wait to see what they do next year. So 
I think the only order that this goes in is service, cash, and then bacon. I mean, it's just, I, I cannot tell you how excited I am for these Mariners uh, going forward. But, you I mean, both, need us anything uh... else? <laughs> yeah, no, it's going to be, it's going to be uh, just a pleasure to watch. I certainly hope so. I mean, the Mariners in the city of Seattle deserve some playoff baseball. You know, especially the way T-Mobile Park was rocking it seems like. They want playoff baseball. So, Splash, is there anything you want to add on? If not, I do have something I want to add on to this. Um, congratulations. (laughs) All right. So here's what I'm going to say. Seattle has been needing playoff baseball for 20 years. It's, I always like to use the adage that, um, at this point right now, if a baby was born on the last day that Seattle uh, was in a playoff game, that baby now would be almost old enough to drink. And I find that hilarious because come next year, even if Seattle makes the playoffs, that baby that was born on that day would still be, would be this close to being able to go on the 21 run. I like what I've seen from Seattle. And I, I will be the first person to eat my crow when saying that Scott service should have been fired because at this point right now, he has proven that he could be a top tier manager and win with whatever he has. And splash, you said it as well, talking about uh, trading away the bill of goods for um, say with trade away Graveman looking back on it. Again, there's a lot of knee jerk that came from it. Me, especially on that, but I mean, it made sense and it wasn't a sell move. It was a move for a future as well as still getting pieces for the presence. So this is going to be very, 2022 is going to be a very interesting year for Seattle. Either the curse is going to be broken, the streak will be broken, or there's going to be even more if Seattle does not make it because there are now expectations on this team. But right now, Scott Service, it's on you, buddy. You're going to win the award this year. You deserve it. Now show it's not a fluke. Also, I'd like to say that it's quite awesome that this Mariners team literally had a stat made for them, the fun differential. So shout out, shout out to the Mariners for what they did. Look, the fun differential is the greatest stat ever made. You can take your defensive run saves. You can take the war stat. No, there's something that's opposite of war. That's called fun. Fun differential. Yeah, no, fun differential is like my favorite. I think it's my favorite stat now. I also went to two of the three games uh, that Seattle had uh, the stadium completely packed and oh my gosh, I completely forgot how good. Oh my gosh. I was the happiest little boy because I just was surrounded by people and I had never felt that feeling, especially with like, you know, with COVID and all this stuff, like being able to even think about being around that many people at one point was kind of scary to think about. But the fact that Seattle was rocking, I saw the video on my phone, I can show it to you later, of uh, the stadium rocking to Fall Out Boy's, uh, it's like, I know, uh, my songs know what you did in the dark. And that you could feel the, the whole stage shake as people are jumping and screaming. Oh, man, it was a, it was a time. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, you guys get more of that next year. Uh, but anyway, moving on to the National League, the finalists are Craig Council, Gabe Kapler, and Mike Schilt, who was just fired recently. So I don't know how he 
ended up being a finalist here. But guys, I think this is a, there's a clear winner in this race too. I mean, do you guys have any obje objections to Gabe Kapler? I mean, I, I can't see a reason why he shouldn't win this award. Nope. Next story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's just clear. <laughs> Although shout out to Mike Schultz for being the Dwayne Casey of major league baseball managers. <laughs> I was thinking jo Joe Girardi. I remember when Joe Girardi with the Marlins, uh, he, he led the team to 78 wins and he somehow got manager of the year and got fired. Don't ask me how that's possible, but uh, do you guys have, have like, you know, you know, I, uh, Obviously, Kapler is the clear favorite. I mean, how? I mean, how? How do we even describe what he did this year? I mean, it's hard to. It's actually it might be. I feel it's pretty obvious. It was David against two Goliaths, and instead of bringing the slingshot, he brought a nuke, and that's what he did to baseball you we were talking at the beginning of the season about how amazing the battle was going to be between the. Uh, Dodgers and the Padres, how incredible their rivalry was going to be where every single one of their matchups was going to be a preview of the NLCS. Except the Giants came out of nowhere and decided to say, no, we're better than you and we know it, a la, a la Globo Jim. But I like what I've seen and it's incredible to see what Gabe Kapler was able to do with his team where it was a full team of players doing their jobs. I've used that phrase a ton this podcast, but when it comes to award season, that's what it that's what it takes. You have professional players that are paying up to their paychecks and more and are really they're having players that are that have failed in other areas, but they're there succeeding. Kevin Gaussman is the first name that comes up to on my list. But then on top of it, when you have the career renaissance of one Buster Posey and the, re and the rejuvenation of his career this year, man, that guy's going to have one heck of a retirement, but look, Gabe Kapler did an incredible job in a race where he didn't even, where people didn't even have the giants as entered. He took it and ran and won that race. I can't say enough good things about what he's done. Yeah, and even like the game-to-game -game stuff, that lineup management, getting guys ABs when they need it, it was just special to watch that game in and game out, you knew you had to like, you had to outmaneuver the Giants, and that's really hard to do. You just had to like kind of beat it over the head because they were going to they were gonna nibble around the margins and they were going to platoon players and play the hot hand and like all the cliches in the book and Kapler was there pulling the strings when necessary. The Giants won 107 games. The Dodgers preseason over under was 106 and a half. The Dodgers didn't hit it. The Giants did it for them. The Giants were a, a third, maybe a fourth place team in a lot of people's eyes. They were on par with the Rockies and the Diamondbacks, two of the worst teams in baseball, unless you're playing at Coors Field. And the Giants won 107 games. They won 19 more games than the Atlanta Braves to use your wins above the World Series champion metric from your Mariners. That's a plus 19 World plus 19 over the World Series champs. That has to count for something. I know the Giants ended up losing in Game Five in the NLDS, but this is a regular season award, not a playoff award. Yeah, I just, you know, looking at the players on this roster, you no, know, Buster Posey's 34. 
Brandon Bell's 33. Donovan Solano's 33. Brandon, Brandon Crawford's 34. Evan Longoria's 35. I mean, so many guys that are 30 and over and guys who are in their mid-30s who are supposed to be on the decline, just performing, you know, up to they were up to task. You know, they I mean, I had the come I had them coming in third this year. And somehow, you know, they just they found ways to win, you know, and also looking at guys who they had coming off the bench, Lamont Wade Jr. Darren Ruff. I mean, he came back from Korea and was mashing. You know, I I had never even heard of. I didn't really know who Lamont Wade Jr. was. And I don't think most baseball fans did. And you know, he became a weapon. You know, Wilmer Flores again. He was productive off the bench, and so was Austin Slater. And you know, just so many, so many guys who stepped up. You know, Kevin Gosman, Anthony Disquafani, Logan Webb, and Alex Wood all had fantastic seasons. Or, you know, they, they they were, you know, that front four were they that that's a big reason why they were successful. And also that bullpen with 34-year-old Jake McGee as the closer with Tyler Rogers as a setup man and Yarlene Garcia and Dominic Leone and Jose Alvarez, Zach Littell, so many great arms that really most of them are not household names. And just the fact that he took this team that hadn't had a winning season since 2016 and they set a franchise record with 107 wins i mean nothing but a job well done by kapler who was fired just two years ago after two middling seasons with the phillies i think he's proven that he actually is a very good manager but moving on to our final award we had the most valuable player starting out in the al i mean i think there's a clear favorite here but uh the Three finalists are obviously Shohei Otani, Vlad Guerrero Jr., and it is Marcus Simeon as the third finalist. I mean, what what are your guys' thoughts? Because I've actually heard some differing opinions on this. So the way that you introduced it kind of tells a little bit more what's going on, where it was a two-legged race, and Marcus Simeon, no disrespect, I think he had a fantastic year, and I hope to see him in a Mariner uniform next year. But um, he was the third. He was he's the third leg on this. Sorry, buddy. You had a great year, but there are just two other players that are really outside of Keller. But on top of it, it's not even a two-legged race. Like I know a lot of people probably get mad at me for saying this, but there's one that just completely blew this race out of the water. And it is Otani-san. Shohei Otani had himself a season. I don't even know how you comprehend because at this point right now, we have not, we, we've been talking for years about the potential of seeing the two-way player. When Shohei Otani first came over to the league, could a player be a pitcher and a hitter? Could they do both to a strong level? And in 2018, it looked like it was possible. He won the rookie of the year, but then just afterwards didn't really live up to anything. In 2019, 2020 was injured. And then this year, got to show it off and blew the water out of it. He reinvented what it's going to mean for this game because at this point, look, he didn't have to be the best power hitter. He didn't even have to be the best pitcher. The fact that he was doing both of them and to a high level, the MVP stands for most valuable player. When you have 26 guys on your team, 
you're trying to add the most value to the to your team. Well, here's Shohei Otani. He is better than a lot of starting pitchers in the league, and he's better than a lot of hitters in the league. And in that one position, that one roster spot that he takes up, he does both jobs and does them both to a strong degree. There's a reason why he has a war of 9.1 on the season. You take a look at the guys that are coming in for rookie of the year. And I know that trying to bring a rookie to an MVP level, a little bit different, but the best OPS that we saw from a rookie, I think was below 860. Like that's good. Don't get me wrong. But Shohei Otani just as a hitter alone, an OPS of 965, 46 home runs, 257 batting average, 100 RBIs, even 26 stolen bases. He's even got speed. Man, I'm sorry to anyone who thinks that Vlad deserves deserves it, which I mean, yeah, you know, he does deserve the award if Shohei Otani is not in the conversation. Because you look at what Vlad's done. He's had himself an incredible season, too. An OPS of over 1,000, slugging 601, an on-base percentage of 401. He does deserve the award. But you look at the name of the award again. Most valuable player. And Shohei Otani does that in strides because of his ability to pitch and hit to that strong level because we talked about his his hitting stats let's take a look at him as a pitcher well 3.18 era that's already very strong starting there 130 innings pitch not the most but you know still a pretty darn good number overall and an era plus of 141 okay and oh on top of just to add a little more on to the fire 156 strikeouts not bad look this guy's insane you want a value, you want value to your team. Shohei Otani is the most valuable player. So I'm gonna toot my own horn a little bit. <clears throat> I wrote an article, Shohei Otani is an outlier creating the Otani curve. So essentially, like a, a baseline of is Otani good enough to win the MVP compared to the guy who leads the majors in uh pitching war and position player war? Because Otani is unlikely to ever win either because he's not going to throw enough innings to have like eight pitcher war and he's plays dh and designated hitters do not ever come close to leading the league war you'd have to have an extraordinary you'd have to have a barry bonds on steroids pun intended season to even come close with that sort of production because you're being compared to other designated hitters so i've made this metric that sort of combines what MVP voters look for in hitter war and pitcher war. Well, Otani beats out Guerrero this year or Carlos Correa or Simeon or any other contender you throw out there. And it's just so special to see because when you look at the war, it's kind of misleading because when he pitches and he is in the lineup as the starting pitcher for the angels and he hits a home run in the first inning, that home run is helping him out more than hitting a home run as a DH. So he, half of his game, or most of his games, are hurting him from a war standpoint because he plays DH and there's no defensive metric and he's going to get a big negative for positional adjustment. And his even his batting stats are toned down a little bit because, oh, he plays DH. He should hit well. 
and pitching, same idea. He's just not going to accumulate enough innings to ever be a serious contender there. But his combination is his greatest asset. He is the Lamar Jackson, the Michael Vick, the Christian McCaffrey. He is doing two things that you really shouldn't be doing together at an elite level. But even more than those football players, he's doing it both ways. This is Lamar Jackson being top 10 in passing yards and leading the NFL in interceptions. Like that's what we're looking at with Otani. And it's just, it's just special to see. And I wish him nothing but the best moving forward. And I hope there's, when I go on baseball reference in 10 years, it'd be nice to have his decorated as much as Mike Trout's is. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, if it was just hitting, then yes, Guerrero would probably have a leg up in this race, but just Otani, 46 homers and 965 OPS. He also stole 26 bases, led the majors with eight triples, and he was fantastic on the mound. I mean, I just, I, you know, like you said, Alex, it's the most valuable player award. And Otani just, he, he brings it. I mean, what can I say? And no disrespect to Simeon or Guerrero. They both had fantastic seasons. I mean, Simeon had 45 homers, which was a single season record for second baseman. I mean, they were both fantastic. It's just that Otani literally did something we've never seen before. You know, he was one of the best hitters in baseball, and he was a fantastic pitcher. I mean, you don't see too many guys who can hit the ball, you know, close to 500 feet and throw the ball close to 100 miles per hour. So, I mean, enough said. Otani wins this. Guerrero second. Simeon's third. Um, and our the the final award we're going to talk about in my opinion, is going to be the closest race, which is the NL MVP, where the finalists are Juan Soto, Bryce Harper, and Fernando Tatis Jr. I per- I seriously think that this is going to be the just the tightest battle we have. Um, who do you guys have coming up uh, on top in this race? Well, my betting account sure hopes it's Fernando Tatis. At midseason, I made a I think both the Grom and Tatis were like slight positive money. So I'm like, okay, I'll bet on both of them. One of them's going to win and I'll make positive money. That didn't happen because DeGrom didn't pitch another inning the rest of the year. But Fernando Tatis is probably not going to win. I I would lean Juan Soto. And here's just why. Played 10 extra games, was better in the field than Harper. And then the batting stats are quite similar all told i know harper has the slight edge in ops and the slugging percentage soto has him in batting average on base percentage walks soto had a barry bonds-esque walk season like he is getting on base 46.5 percent of the time like that is 2015 harper that is what trout would do that is what like prime vado would do it's ridiculous and next season it might even be more ridiculous and we could have a a 500 on base percentage season. I'm rooting for that. I know he doesn't have 42 home runs like Tatis. I know he only has 20 doubles. Harper has 42. I get it. But you're talking value to a team. Juan Soto is that. Who else on the Nationals in the second half of the season had a pulse? No one. It's Juan Soto. And he had a historic September, you know, trying to pull it away from Harper. And I think he should be rewarded for that. And Juan Soto is my MVP. Alex, I mean, so, I, th- yeah. I think we, we discussed this with uh, all of us and David before. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, 
do you, do you disagree? I mean, so I've really gone back and forth on this one because I'm going to be fully honest. There's a little bit of a bias here. I've never been a Bryce Harper fan. Like I've, I've kind of always had problems with them and I understand. Yeah. You know, he's had an amazing season. All three of these players have the one I'm going to just kind of write off the list immediately is Fernando, even though I'm not, not to knock him at all. Like he had himself a great season too. When you take a look at what he's done, it's definitely not bad. He has done a lot of good stuff and he's even been able to transition to be an infielder and outfielder. So, you know what? Give him some credit there. But to be honest, I, I'm not confident on, on any decision because when it comes to both of these guys, they both have had absolutely incredible years. And for Soto, the number that keeps jump, there are two numbers that keep jumping out at me. The first like splash set is the walks. 145 walks leading the league is insane. And that then leads to the second bit of an on-base percentage of 465. Yes, he had an OPS of less than 1,000 by .001, mind you, but where Harper did have over 1,000 with 1,044. To be honest, this decision is extremely hard. And between these two, it really could go either way. I would be okay if either of them won it. (sighs) Mac, I want you to say your things because honestly, I'm going back on what I was originally going to say. Um, I need to think about this for like at least 30 more more seconds. So if you want to yeah, go for it, say your things, go for it. It's 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 very, very tough, you know. And here's the thing is that you know, earlier in the season, it was probably clear the three candidates were Tatis, Acuna, and DeGrom. And Acuna and DeGrom both suffered season-ending injuries, and Tatis had his injuries, too, with his shoulder. If Tatis stays healthy and if the Padres don't collapse, this is probably the, you know, this is probably his award to lose. But, man, this is, you know, it's, it's so tough, you know. You want to look at how great these two guys were, Soto and Harper. You have... Soto in the second half, these are both in the second half. Soto was 348, 529, 639 with 18 homers and 53 RBIs. He also drew 87 walks against 41 strikeouts, which is uh, just otherworldly. And then you have Harper, who was 338, 476, 713 with 20 homers, 28 doubles, and 50 RBIs while also walking more than he struck out. Man, it's it's so difficult to pick here. Because on one hand, Soto has the edge on defense. He also leads in average and on base percentage. And he drew 145 walks against 93 strikeouts. Harper hit 309, 429, 615. Led the majors in OPS, OPS plus, you know, doubles, slugging percentage. It's, oh man, I'm going back and forth on the two. It's very, very close. I think just narrowly, I'm going to give the edge to Harper. You know, it's, I, it's incredibly difficult to decide, but I think 
while Soto's defense is better and while he might have more wins above replacement, I think Harper was just all around a little better. So Harper wins very narrowly over Soto for me, and then Tatis is more of a distant third. Yeah, so I think I'm on the same train as you, Mac. Like, with this, I look at what Harper and Soto have done, and yes, Soto is slightly the better defender overall. Harper was slightly the better hitter. I look, the things I'm going to, I'll go back, and these are the main things I'm going to kind of, I think, lean on. For Bryce Harper on the season, hitting-wise, hitting-wise for Harper, he led the league in OPS with 1,044 and is slugging at 615. Also, 42 doubles, very nice to have. And then 100 walks as well is very, very nice. And OPS plus also leading the league at 179. For Soto, also absolutely insane. That 145 walks, I just can't take my eyes away from. It's just too nice. But, you know, I'm going to give the slight edge to Harper. I think Harper truly has had an incredible year. And it's really good to see, especially for a career that started out so strong, kind of faltered a little bit, but is still the name that he's shown to be. Well, I'll have one final punch in the Soto corner. Here's a list of every player that has done what Soto did in terms of getting on base in 654 plate appearances. That's how many Soto had. Billy Hamilton, not that Billy Hamilton. Ty Cobb, George Sizzler, Tris Speaker, Lefty O'Doul, Babe Ruth, six times. Jimmy Fox, Lou Gehrig, seven times. Ted Williams, four times. Norm Cash, Wade Boggs, John Olerud, Gary Sheffield, Mark McGuire, Carlos Delgado, Barry Bonds, Jason Giambi, twice. Todd Elton, Juan Soto. Thanks for playing. I mean, that's it's an that's elite. A, that's, list. A, that's a very it's just, elite list. It's, it's also just, the fact that my boy, my boy man. John Oldridge on that list. <laughs> it's it's just, I think Harper just, I don't know. I think Harper basically powered that Phillies team back into the playoff race, and I think because of that, I just I did. I think he did more for his team. Unfortunately, for Soto the nationals just kind of kind of folded after Kyle Schwarber got hurt. And I, Soto, like you said, he was like the only national who had a pulse in the second half, but uh, yeah, I, I have to have Harper winning it. But anyways, we're coming down to the end of our show today. Uh, guys, any other final thoughts on anything we've talked about today? I uh, just, Big shout out to the four Braves that won Silver Sluggers. Uh, Freddie Freeman has his third in a row. Ozzy Albies has two out of three. Austin Riley, huge breakout season. And Max Freed. So shout outs to them. I only think uh, Riley and Freed deserve them, but thank you, baseball. Alex, any final thoughts? Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll boil this down to just a couple of key points. J.P. Crawford and Ty France were snubbed for the Golden Gloves, although it doesn't matter because the Golden Gloves don't mean anything. Anyway, Scott Service has done an incredible job, and I will eat crow every day to, like, if the Mariners make the playoffs in 2022. And Shohei Otani put together a season that is going to change how baseball rethinks awards. Because at this point right now, it almost seems unfair for you know, because we took a look at Vladimir Greer Jr., who had himself an incredible year, but it didn't matter 
because Shohei Otani did something that's never been done before. Oh, hasn't been done since way, way back in the day where you had a true two-way player. So I have a feeling this, that overall, what Shohei has done this season could rethink how we distribute awards going forward. Yeah, and I, of course, like I've said, I've been following Otani for his entire career, both NPB and MLB. So I'm really happy that he's getting the recognition that he's gotten. And I sure hope that the voters are making the right decision. I, I'm fairly confident that they, that they will get this one right. But anyways, you know, we're, you know, the awards will be revealed next week. And, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see uh, if the voters got it right. But anyways, that will do it for our episode today. Just want to thank Splash and Alex for coming on. Splash, you can follow him at Mr. Splashman19. You can follow Alex at the Sports Guy242. You can follow myself at Matthias underscore A underscore K. You can follow the Cheap Seats Chatter Twitter account at OTH underscore Cheap Seats and the Baseball Department Twitter account at Baseball underscore OTH. For everyone who's been on the show today and for Overtime Heroics, thank you for tuning in. You can hear us all off season long. I'm Matthias Almond Krasaki. I will see you all real soon.